1: It's time to go on a fishing, boating, and great outdoors adventure. Welcome to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood.
2: Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating, and the great outdoors. Redmond, good morning to you, my friend.
0: Good morning, mate, and uh, I know we're a fishing show, but I'm going to get in early, all right? I'm going to start in early we've got plenty of fishing to talk. Mate, Melbourne falling apart. What is going on down there? Clayton Oliver punching on, well, may as well exaggerate it a bit, with his uh, yeah. fitness trainer, Patrick. Uh, does this happen often down at the Cattery? Like, I know that you've been through your injuries as of late with the old age kicking in, but what's going on down there? Is it often an incident where you see people arguing with fitness trainers and whatnot?
2: Did you are straight into this this morning? I thought we were going to cover off a bit of four by four news, a little bit of boating news, but no, it's straight where, into where the. Where into this? Straight into it's the fracas that happened at Footy clubs. Look, to be honest, it's not something that um, that is all that uncommon. So Sometimes, like it's not generally um, as flamboyant as I suppose as Clayton has been in in this vision, but it certainly happens because you've got you know competitive players, particularly off the back of a hamstring. Where it just takes it takes a while. Like I remember doing my hammy and seeing how quickly um, a few players who had done it the same week. Um, Adam Trelaw was one of them, and he was back a week earlier. And I'm like, man, how how has he got back so quickly? This is so frustrating. Um, but there's, there's key pillars that you need to get to in to return to play, and there's one of those is is speed. You know, you're your um, your your high speed running and how quickly you can get to you know twenty eight k's an hour, thirty eight Ks an hour, you know, ninety-five percent of your max speed. So what I reckon, you know, probably Clayton's dealing with is probably similar to myself, where, you know, you want to push it, but you've got fitness staff who have been there before, who have seen this many times. And when you're dealing with players who haven't experienced many injuries throughout their career, there's a huge frustration there. So I think that's what it is. it happen. Absolutely, it happens um, a lot more than you'd think. Um, he's just unlucky in this situation where he's being caught on camera. But it's certainly something that happens. And I can um, – people are asking, why, why does it take so long? Because you can have little hiccups. Like I remember – I reckon I was two and a half weeks in and I just felt something on the kick. Um, and it didn't mean that I redid my hammy. But what it meant was it just pulls you back a few days. But pulling yourself back a few days when you're coming back from a hamstring means the next high-speed running session that you're doing, you're not hitting 28 k's an hour. You're just getting to 22 k's an hour. You know, so it, it, it yeah. puts you out. Um, you know, it puts you out like a couple of weeks, and that's why there can be frustration around. You know, why are things taking so long to return because not all hammies are the same. What when you say you felt something, just it,
0: it sounded like. Hard not play through it, sort of thing, like in a way. But like, what are you feeling? No, but what are you feeling? Because it's like it obviously can lead, lead to many more weeks out. What are you feeling when you say you feel
2: something? For me, so this, so for me, i I'd, I'd done my my training session. I'd hit twenty eight k's an hour. This is like two weeks um, mm. after I'd done my hammy, and then the last kick, literally, as I was just having a little bit of a, a kick around at the end of training, I just felt something in the same spot. Now, what it was with sort of aggravation of a bit of the scar tissue. But it just means you have to take it conservatively. So for me, it, it goes an injury where you're thinking, yep, I'm going to be back in three. It, it then blows out to five because you just can't take that risk when you know there's been a little bit of an incident that may not be, you know, you haven't you haven't redone your hammy, but you've aggravated the scar tissue around the spot that you're trying to rehab. And that there is your biggest challenge when it's like, I know there's something there. And if I have done all this work and I don't report it, and then you do your hammy again, you cost yourself another month on the sideline. So do you reckon
0: that that with you guys being so well conditioned, you AFL guys are so well conditioned, you're so well looked after, like, it, you guys do such big rehab you're in the ice bath from the minute you literally do your string you, the rehab starts instantly straight away do you reckon you guys notice things like little things that are wrong with your bodies a little bit more say than what your standard, your standard local football would like say someone like myself or Brooksy, our producer
2: do you reckon you would some, feel a bit more 100% as soon as, once you've done your hammy you are so hypersensitive around that spot so you spend depending on how big your injury group is say Melbourne or Geelong or wherever if mm-hmm. it's small You've just got you, your rehab coach, and you're running yeah. straight lines up and up and down the the side of the ground, and all you are thinking about is your hamstring How's a feeling. Last
0: one before so we last you, one. Yeah, you're
2: absolutely hypersensitive. Last one before we get into the fishing.
0: I think your local footballer does his string comebacks in three weeks, has beers after the game. I think they're the
2: tough ones out there. They're not you blokes that miss five weeks. <laughs> you're a real, real professional you are hey let's get into it uh toyota highlights we spoke uh, a few weeks ago going mild hybrid for australia in 2024 that continues to sort of funnel out in terms of um the news would you buy one red and we spoke about this last week on the show are you spending 65 plus on a truck in order to, to hit a hybrid market or are you waiting for the technology to improve yeah no 100 percent i'm waiting yeah it i Toyota's obviously not going
0: to release something as poor you wouldn't think with their reputation and whatnot, but I I would wait. I always would wait. wait. What would you do? Would you, because you love your your new technology, would you jump into it?
2: Uh, I think I'm with you and I love new technology, but I think I'm waiting simply because is it improving your range that much or is it more of a gimmick? Probably more of a gimmick. Yeah. We've we've seen uh, plenty of different uh, manufacturers going into this market, but – None have yet to really capture it in the outdoor space. They have, they they, have done it before, though,
0: Pat. Absolutely.
2: Like they've got they hybrid, out. They've yeah, got hybrid they, out there. They, they kicked things off with Prius, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, um, But in the outdoor space, is it mm-hmm. going to be that meaningful a change? I don't think so. Like, we're seeing Jeep Grand Cherokee. They're, they're coming with their plug-in hybrid in 2024. Um, is it improving the range not like that much? Well, it's a Jeep, so you're going from 25 liters per 100k to 15. <laughs> <months>. So <laughs> it's a bit like your Ram, But like, yeah, advertised, yeah, exactly. advertised liters per 100k's aren't always necessarily what you're getting on the on the road. But do you really care that much when you've got the towing ability that Ram gives you? I didn't buy the car to save money on fuel. People go, oh, does it use fuel? I'm
0: like, well, yeah, it's a V8, 5.8 litre V8 petrol. It's a massive car. It's heavy. Of course it's going to use fuel. It's not a – if I wanted to save fuel, which we have with my missus' car, the Outlander, that uses like seven litres. Like, you're, you're – even like the, the in-between you, so like your four territories, what I mean by in-between, just your standard three-and-a-half ton, your Rangers and all the likes like yourself, they don't use fuel. They use minimal to nothing. My Amarok, I think, used like eight or nine litres. But I had an Amrock, and it towed. It did great, but it wasn't legal for bigger boats. It wasn't a big car. So I I just purely bought the car not to save money on fuel. I drive the Mister's car in between when I don't have to drive mine, and my Ram pulls your boat, it pulls my boat, it pulls everything with ease. And when I'm doing those big distances, I feel extremely safe sitting in a big big car too. So that's the reason that I bought the car.
2: Hey, I want to pick this conversation up later when we have Chris Vasilevsky on the show because XO – Um, the Finnish Hmm. crossover boat specialist, they have settled on adding a 300-horsepower diesel outboard uh, to their luxury dayboat. Now, this is interesting because they haven't done it before. Now, this diesel-powered outboard is a Cox CXO300. It's a 4.4-litre twin-turbocharged V8 diesel. The reason I find this interesting is I wonder whether this is something that that commercial operators, in particular the charter industry, are going to start to look more heavily at. So, that's something I think to pick up with Chris around his, what is it, a 30-odd-foot um, custom aluminium boat that I think he's running twin 300-horsepower Suzuki. Like, is, is diesel-powered outboards the future for commercial charter boats?
0: What do they? Does this have the same output and everything though? That what a standard three hundred would though, Pat. Like I'm looking, I'm reading at the specs now, and to me, it doesn't. It doesn't look like it will be able to push the power that three hundred horsepower would. And Chris's boat is a big boat. Like it's. Will you have to? Yeah, get are a you worried
1: about that though?
2: But are you worried about that? Like it's. It's so like the 300's weight comes in at just under four hundred kilos. So that's going to be heavier than the majority of, um, you know, the, the comparison between. Um, you know, a, a Merc 300, for example. But you're not buying it for that reason. You're buying it for longevity. You're buying it for fuel efficiency. Uh, well, in front of it
0: here, it's saying that it's the weight of this hull that the engine's on is 2,400 kilo, right? Yeah, gotcha, yep. So let's just say, for instance, double it. So, so go, we'll go two and a half and double it. So say 5,000 kilo is with two engines on the back, say, with two of them. Because Chris is yeah. running two three hundreds, but his his boat is much heavier than that. His boat is an I reckon it's ten and a half, eleven meters, and it's a massive stainless. It is a big aluminium boat with a lot of stainless on it. This is a big, heavy boat. I I don't know if it'll can't be that mo- much more fuel efficient. I reckon it's going to have to
2: work extremely hard, like really, really hard. I suppose that's the question we're seeing in the um we're seeing in in the car industry at the moment. There's so many of our favourite vehicles that are now going mm. full petrol. They're not giving diesel options, even though Australia's oh. been such a massive marketplace that has always loved our diesel engines. But we're seeing My car. My car's one of them. Yep. Yeah. It's and b- Because diesel's, diesel used to be you know far cheaper. We're not seeing that now. Hey we saw uh, during the week there's plenty of posts uh travelling right around, uh, well, certainly Victoria, and Trally uh, Fishing World posted during the week um, that they hooked on to a huge barrel outside of Barland Heads and that local barrels are now in effect. Aaron, are local barrels now in effect? You look like you've got a wry smile across your face.
0: Yeah, it's uh, safe to say they've been here for a bit. They were a bit late on the old post-trellies, which is not a bad thing because they'd been out for a while, and they, they were kept a little bit quiet for a period of time. Not myself. I, I didn't get one early. I was I was one of the ones that uh, didn't waste fuel looking for them for a couple of weeks because uh, when you do the Ks like you do in a week like myself and you do 500 or 600 Ks out there, that adds up to a lot of money, nearly $1,000 of fuel, Pat. So you've got to do some Ks to find them, and these fish – Aaron, answer are the really question. Amazing.
2: What did you catch during the week? Uh, just a small
0: school bluefin, uh, around that 145.6 kilo mark. I, I managed to land a big girl out here, Patrick, and it was an absolute pleasure to get in your local waters. You know what's nice? I love going to Port Mac and everything. It's great. I, I, and you know how much I love going down there. Uh, yeah. But you just wake up in the morning. I packed the boat the night before. I drive out at the gates. I drive to my local ramp. I drive out fishing. But I get to come home to your own bed. Like, you're not cleaning the fish, going to the pub, everything like that. And don't get me wrong, I do love going away, but when you do it a lot for work, it gets a bit repetitive. And to have these fish here, the cost, the money that you save, not just for myself, but the majority of people that chase barrel bluefin tuna around this state, let's be honest, they come from the Melbourne region. So they will push to your your Portlands, your Apollo Bays, your Port Mac, all year. But they're all saving money too. But I know times are tight at the moment with money for everyone, so it is like, it's like okay, we don't have to spend the money in accommodation. They can leave. It's an hour and a half to the ramp instead of five. It's not dangerous because you're not travelling five hours early in the morning. Will these littler communities miss out a little bit? Yes, but I can guarantee you right now how hard these fish are to catch, Pat, how hard they are, you're still best off going to a beautiful place like Apollo Bay, Port Mac, or Portland when they're on because, yes, there's going to be the odd day when they're on here and i say odd day because you could go out there and you could have all the life in the world you could get five fish maybe i know one person had 10 of them in one day here very recently so you could have that but the chances of that happening is against you more than what it is for you and i'll tell you that in all honesty so you could go out there and spend countless hours trying to catch these fish here they are extremely hard to get due to the bait they're fishing on. Just the waters we're in and everything like that, It's it, they can be very, very hard and time-consuming to get. So what did
2: you do well that gave you the best chance of success? So for those Absolutely that do want to spend 45 k's off, offshore, what are the things that you've done? What lure did you use? What depth yeah. of water? What can you tell us?
0: It's Honestly, it's just, it was, I was right place at the right time. It was just tin ass. Comes down to probably a few things. It's probably keeping the way I work, I guess, your baits, your, your life, I guess. So I'm always constantly watching for bird life, looking. I'm not sitting down there, but that's probably the biggest thing I can give you. You're just constantly looking and you're just putting the time in. Now, in the past, like the amount of hours I've put in this year out there, Pat, the amount of hours, I can't explain to you how much I've done out there. I've done hundreds of hours out there looking for these fish this season already, and I haven't caught one. But they weren't there. Now that they're there and people are catching them, I guarantee you that people, it'll be a sort of a 10 trip to one fish minimum out there for people. So there was, the day I was out, there would have been 20, 25 boats out, right? I reckon there was two fish caught, landed. I reckon there was four hooked and two landed from 25 boats spread across the whole day. So it's it's not that consistent. And it can't, don't get me wrong, it's going to fire up. Like the day you got your big fish, Pat, we got that fish, we lost one. We called a couple of mates over, they got fish. That was a day they were on. But they are very few and far between, I'll be honest.
2: Yeah, I suppose it's that balance of when someone hooked up and then it's like, okay, all boats descend on that one spot. That's not the play, though, is it? Especially when it comes to, you know, this, is, this is southern Victoria, this is not eastern New South Wales where the boat numbers and boat traffic can be great with the fin at times. You're not improving your, your, can't, uh, your chance to catch a fish by zooming over to someone that's just hooked up. It's not how these fish move. So the example I'll give you, i got these fish.
0: There was a massive – there was about four or five workups in one spot. No one hooked up. I didn't mark any fish. Then all of a sudden there was this even more intense workup, and it stayed up. What I mean by it stayed up, it's all the birds were all on top of it. The bait was still on the surface. Whatever was there was holding this bait up, right? Now all of a sudden – I was the second boat to pull through it. There was a boat dropping baits in, and then I pulled across it. I didn't mark fish. I come back across it, and then there was about. By the time I turned around, there was probably five or six boats. Then there was ten boats. Then there was fifteen boats, right, in that one spot. I didn't go back to that patch. I literally kept driving forward, and I kept tacking away, and I could see birds in the distance, and they were moving. So I didn't get my fish off a massive tight ball, but that ball didn't really have much life on it and what we like to refer to as mammals so your seals your dolphins etc so what it did have though was had it had just uh gannets coming in hard i don't know what was pushing it up because i couldn't see i didn't spend there long enough but i pushed away and i chased gannets about 10 or 15 of them that were hitting the water but they were moving so fast and it's not typically your barrel workup because they're on white bait it just keeps moving and moving and moving it just keeps it doesn't stop where I finally caught it. I was going 20 kilometers an hour with the lures out. I finally caught it, slowed the boat down. The birds disappeared. They were gone. I aimed at the dolphins. There was about five dolphins that I could see. I aimed at them, looked at my screen. I'm going, crap, I've marked up five, six fish here. All of a sudden, bang, the rod screams off. So I actually got the fish probably three k's away from the boats, all by myself, and it was just chasing the life that no one was actually looking for because they wanted that
2: tight workup. Hang around a little later in the show. Red's got a tip that is going to help you catch these local barrels. We've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way this morning. Plenty on show. Uh, After the break, it is time for the whip around where we whip right around the country. We find out what's biting in your state. This is Real Adventures.
1: You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood.
2: Welcome back to Real Adventures, chatting, fishing, boating, and the great outdoors as always. Uh, Redmond, let's kick off the Whiparound where we find out what's fighting in your part of the world. New South Wales has been really good snapper fishing at Monty Fish, up to 70 centimetres on slow-pitched micro jigs. Now, are they brand specific, Redmond? Like, when you're looking at, at, at jigging for fish, there's obviously the weight which is one thing so depending it's 30 grams 50 grams 70 grams whatever it might be There's the style of the jig and how it cuts through the water from your experience does that matter when it comes to jigging for fish or is it more if they're in the right spot it doesn't matter what you're jigging with the fish are going to hit it patrick come on mate you know me do i use a micro jig (laughs) (laughs) actually give me
0: credit remember that time in cans where i committed to the micro jig all day? Yes, I did, did, didn't I? No, it's uh, there's so many brands, of, there's so many brands of jigs out there. Now, I'll just explain a little bit of the difference between micro and knife jigs. Micro jig's more of a slower pitched jig where you can get a bit faster ones, but they more flutter through the water, and you're more using the rod tip as such. I guess more in a slow, more, so a slow way. Where if you're jigging for kingfish and the likes, it's quite erratic and hard work, and they're your heavy jigs. There, there, there's so many different brands out there. There really is, like Major Craft's the one that I like to use. But there's so many. There's Black Magic, uh, Black Magic, Black Pete. There's so many. I don't reckon there's any specific one. It's more matching the colour I reckon to the bait that you're actually fishing on. So
2: the, the colour is one thing. Obviously, the other part that affects this is. Uh, the drift or the, or the, the current and yeah. how fast that's moving so obviously the faster moving water then you are having to increase the weight of the jig otherwise you're simply going to be you're going to be carted away you're not going to be able to um you know pull that jig through the fish that you're sounding up you, you know your sound is cutting through the water cutting through the drift because it doesn't matter but the same can't be said for your jig no, 100%.
0: And your jig gets swept up in the water column and it's sitting sideways and coming back to you like a laser lure casting off or a salmon in the surf pad. That's not what it's designed to do, a micro jig. It's not designed to come up. It's meant to be up and down. And the good thing is if you get your drift patterns right and you drift nicely, you'll be able to definitely get uh, get that jig up and down with you. And look, if you get that, if you get the wind and tide going together and you're drifting with the tide, quite often you get away with a slightly lighter jig. Which allows you because you're going with it. But if you've got it going wind against tide and the tide's pulling the other way, that's when you sort of need to up your jigs. And Monty is a prick of a place for tide at times. It can really fly through there.
2: Uh, yellowfin and Bluefin out of Sydney. Al McGlashan is satellite tagging fish uh, at the moment and did throughout the week. What can you tell us around the Yellowfin and the Bluefin Redmond? Because it's one of the things that, that certainly gets anglers excited, those Yellowfin um, tuna.
0: Yeah, there are Jake Brisbane as well. We had him on the show a little while ago. He had a great week too. So lures and stick baits, depending on what the fish are doing, just comes down to being there on the, on the day. Uh, also down south as well. So not just up at Sydney, but down south has been some fish, the commercial guys. So that's sort of down off Way. But it's just a matter of putting the hours in with your trolling. Troll once you hit a fish, start cubing, call people in, get the boats there and start then uh, dropping baits into it because you're going to catch a lot more fish. The fish size, those yellow fin are sort of 20 to 40 kilo, sometimes a little bit bigger. And those bluefin act literally sometimes, you do not know, it could be a 130 kilo fish or it could be a 30 kilo fish. You just do not know what you're going to get out the continental shelf.
2: Let's head further north. Queensland, Red Emperor and Cobia landed offshore at Bundaberg this uh, this week as well as plenty of Pearl Perch. Baffle Creek is on fire at the moment with really solid Flathead, Grunter and Trevally uh, all on offer and a few Mango Jack on offer as well. Did you see, just slightly off topic here, Redmond, but during the week there was a Mangrove Jack uh, that was posted on socials 124 pound. I'm not sure how old the photo is. It was a 45-minute fight. It's one of the most amazing fish that I think I've ever seen posted. Like a mangrove jack at 120 plus pounds. You're kidding. You
0: did You did send that to me.
2: Uh, Have you heard They're either of really good at photo... that... <laughs> You're not no, photoshopped. No,
0: they're Photoshop. I'm telling you, they're as good as, they're as,
2: good as me. <laughs> I don't know, that's a big jack. <laughs> just, uh, just quickly on the, on the Flathead, Grunter and Trevally, uh obviously you're mixing up whether you're fishing for bait with those Redmen, you're going to have less successful, less consistent success uh, with, with lures depending on how you're targeting them and if you want the best success, it's obviously going to be um, bait in hand. Uh, Western Australia. Yeah, North Beach
0: Jetty has been a great place. being on school holidays with plenty of squid and salmon being caught there. Uh, but there's something, there's things lurking down there, Pat. And of course, being in WA, you don't know what they are. They could be any fish, any species. But I've heard that multiple reports. These kids are nearly getting the lines pulled out of their hands. So if you've got a bigger rod and a bigger bit of bait, chuck it in, and you might land and see what one of these fish are. Because these kids are literally uh, getting their <laughs> getting their real spool. The poor fellas, on these bigger stuff. And WA, there could be a shark. There could be a you wouldn't have a clue, so <laughs> it's a uh, it's a great it's a great place, an option to fish with the kids on that jetty, and also Gunna Matty is holding its normal winter salmon run right on the beaches. They have big fish, Pat, seventy plus centimeters, and simple, simple and effective using your metal jigs cast into the gutters. That's how you're going to get them uh, over in the west. Would you be changing
2: the treble hooks for singles? Quite often when you get in, like especially if you've caught a couple of fish and you don't want to destroy them, that's one thing. But I've certainly found the last few weeks just fishing off the beach, I've I've really struggled with trebles versus changing them out to to a single um, where when you've got good numbers, it hooks them just as well and it's so much easier to get off.
0: i say yes right now, but whether I do it is a whole different story. In all honesty. You say you're going to do this, you really do, but you just don't know if you like. You get down there and you just tie it on quickly and you cast out, especially if you lose one. But if you're going to release it single, if you're going to release the salmon and you're just having fun, definitely change it because the trebles destroy their faces. They literally destroy them that bad. Uh, If you're keeping them for bait or whatnot, trebles will work fine. But yeah, if you're going to release them, chuck the single one.
2: All right, let's continue the move, Redmond, and head to South Australia, my old stomping ground. Uh, Ned McHenry, um, the, the mayor of. South Australia has allowed us to do the review because he's doing some wonderful things in the fishing space with obviously his uh, fishing radio show on 5AA. He's also, Redmond, uh, he's doing the fishing report on Channel 9. Unbelievable to see the uh, great man going from strength to strength. But speaking of strength to strength, there's been some big barrels caught out of Port Mac again during the week. Hopefully that is a sign of things to come that they continue to... Um, go from better to better to bigger. Cape Jarvis, uh, the gumbos have been red hot fish to 15 kilos coming in, squid and Tommy Ruff being the best for bait. Can I just pick up with you, Taco, around these gumbos, the squid and how you're rigging them, um, as well as the Tommy Ruff?
0: Yeah, so your squid, I'm not a massive squid user for, for gummy baits, especially in the ocean. Uh, not the, the fact that it doesn't catch fish, it's the fact that everything eats squid. That's the problem yep. with it. So you put – you put everything eats everything. But a squid ring, you put a nice squid ring down there, everything can pick that apart. Like The small fish, the reef fish bite it all and it gets ripped up in seconds. Hence why I like my big flesh baits, so your big bits of rass or your big bits of salmon because it stays on for ages. With the Tommy Ralphs, what I'd be doing is I'd just – Tommy Ruffs tend to be quite small. So what I'd be doing is cutting the, the tail off and actually pinning the hook through the tail, leave the head on, and running it down as a nice big chunk bait for your gummies. So I wouldn't be, I'd be trying to steer clear of the squid if you are, I guess, losing baits a lot because everything eats squid. Unfortunately, it does, including yourself and myself, Pat. We all love eating squid.
2: <laughs> uh, Tasmania, the Derwent had some nice trout during the week, but the fishing has been really difficult with the weed being just horrendous. Uh, York's had the whiting firing nicely uh, with Pippi and squid combo working a treat. Uh, let's head to Victoria Redmond, go a bit more in-depth because the swordfish uh, on a couple of calm days, calm days during the week out of Lake Entrance.
0: Yeah, Lee Rayner managed to score himself a nice 120-kilo sword out of Lakes. He was 120-plus kilometres offshore, so 120 kilometres, and he was meant to have a glass out, and he, rec- he said to me, 10 o'clock, wind puffed up a bit, oh, that should blow through. 12 o'clock, wind puffed up a bit more, oh, that should go through. Three o'clock, puffed up a bit more again, and poor Leroy <laughs> uh, had to – he was in a beautiful Caribbean, 23, and poor Leroy had to drive back uh, all you the way to 100 – he was in a good beautiful boat, but I don't care if you're in the Titanic and you've got to drive back through <laughs> through uh, that with a bit of wind. west. It was coming straight on from the west too, so it was on his nose, and doing being a two-and-a-half, three-hour trip ended up being a nearly a five-hour trip back in, but – he had the meat on the deck, Patrick. So he was extremely happy.
2: Uh, made it made the trip well worthwhile. I'm cracking brim out of Twin Rivers, East Gippsland this week as well. Soft plastics um, on the yak has been really successful. So we love hearing that. A little bit different.
0: Yeah, I love a kayak with an engine. Uh, yeah, they work in really really well. So. <laughs> Plenty of, plenty of brim in there. And actually, speaking of Lee, I'm pretty sure he's doing an event down there pretty soon too out of uh, Twin Rivers in the next few weeks. So make sure you do chase that up top into Google and you'll find it.
2: Uh, let's talk Welshpool, the Flathead on fire, as well as the Gumbos. What can you report um, from from Gwain and Saltguy? What have you seen this week around Welshpool and, and
0: Western Port? Yeah, Gwain was over uh, Welshpool and had great success. Flathead, Leatherjack and Gumbos. Again, three days fishing there. He did really, really well. Uh, Also, Western Port, massive calamari being caught, and there's barrels out the front of the Western Port entrance as well. And then you've also got Port Fuller Base, massive whiting down south for Court, which are those big winter whiting that we like talking about. Uh, And also the barrels, obviously, that we spoke about at the start of the show. So plenty happening when the weather permits. And we had a few good days, but... Doesn't look great for the weekend. We're looking outside now. Pattern is probably 108 kilometers out there at the moment. Tomorrow's the same, but it looks like Wednesday onwards tidying up a little bit. That could change. But if we get this weather, there's plenty of options. And you've still got the school tuna down at Portland going really well, but the bottom fishing there too gumbos, snapper, school sharks. It's just 10 out of 10 down there. So there's plenty of options. It's just a matter of the weather God's been kind to us.
2: That was the whip around where we find out what's been biting in your part of the country. We've got a little bit of time. We're going to head straight into the social club. We take your questions, social media. If you want to join in the, the conversation, then make sure you hit us up on our real adventures, social channels, whether that be Facebook or Instagram at real Adventures show. And remember you can download and listen to our pods from wherever you grab your podcast uh, from any app residents iPhone, Android, whatever you want to call it. Uh, let's start off with, uh, with Johnny. Red, why are the barrels and the local barrels so much harder to catch than those in Port Mac uh, or further south? Yeah, it's a
0: good question. And it comes down to, in my opinion, uh, the, it's the bait that we have here. So when they're on the white bait which is what we have, uh, it's, it's such small bait. If you look in the water when they're on it, it's not even the size of your pinky finger. Like he's yeah. tiny, tiny, and that's even with the hawk's hands. Even if you let the tomahawk have his pinky finger, they're not even that big. So it's they are so small that it's it's trying to match the hatch and then bring it all up. Have the right size hooks, have the right size lures, the right size leader. Having all this stuff for him is extremely hard to have. Uh, you need to, I guess, get a reaction bite out of them in a way. So. Like, spreader bars have been working really, really well out there because you've got a lot of lot of crap going on when it's splashing and it's creating attention for the fish to come to. But when they, I guess, we do have yakas here. I've never seen red bait here. I've seen slime, lots of slimies here, and we get pillies here. If they change to bigger pilchards and they change to whatever bait it is, then, yes, we will have the better bites, Pat. But at the moment, every... Day I've been out there, even when I haven't seen barrels. It's just white bait. It's just purely white bait, and it makes life extremely hard when chasing these big boys.
2: Graham T, g'day boys, love the show. How often do you service your outboards? Do you stick to what the manufacturers recommend, or are you a bit lazy when it comes to your servicing? I'm not great, and I haven't serviced it for a couple of years. Cheers, Graham. Well, I suppose it depends. Mm. It depends how often you're using it, Graham. I mean. Outboard engines actually love being used. They don't like sitting in the shed, particularly if you're a, an ocean fisherman, and, and Aaron will vouch for this, but an engine that's consistently used is actually a far better engine than one that sits in the shed and is used every yeah. five years. Now, both you and I um, are pretty strict with our servicing. You'll go over from time to time, but you'll drive in and see the boys at some um, at Melbourne Marine, or you are lucky enough that your brother's a, a motor mechanic as well, a, a, an outboard mechanic. But you, you do have to be reasonably consistent, don't you?
0: Oh, 100%. I don't miss my servicing. It's one thing. I might go over here and there or even under sometimes. So if I'm – even your boat, just in, for example, Bermagui last year, the start of the year, I I think you'll do, you'll do say, for a roughly 100-hour service, just say, I knew that we were going to pass that, but by a lot when we were there. So, we might have got it to 130, 140 hours, but you're at 90 hours before I left. So, I got your 100 hour service just before we went. It's just a smarter way to do it. And working with your marine shop to do it, you you should get a, on every uh, engine these days, you do get a, a, you can see what hours you're doing, obviously, but you also get uh, little reminders or service alarms that will come on on your engine. Mine, my Merc yep. screen comes up and says maintenance now due. So, that means go right, as soon as that comes on, go and get it. I've also, Melbourne Marine are kind enough to me and they put a sticker on the side of my, near my throttle there and it says what hours. I just check my hours every handful of trips. So then I'll bring Andrew and say, all right, mate, can you fit me in please? And then I'll go get my engine service. But yeah, don't, especially if you want resale value, Pat, don't go over on your engine, uh, engine, uh, engine hours.
2: Beautiful work, Redman. That is the social club. If you want to join in the conversation, then make sure you head to our Real Adventures socials. Send us in a few questions and we'll do our very best to get back to you. You're listening to Real Adventures.
1: You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Welcome back to
0: Real Adventures and it's now time for All Aboard and our special guest today is Chris Vasileski from Gone Fishing Charters. Good morning, Chriso. How you going, As? Going very good, mate. Now, uh, I thought I'd better get you back on the show because we got you when you were heading obviously down to Portland to start your annual tuna run down there so you've now bought the boat back so thought we'd grab you on and I guess go into a bit of detail about the season let's compare it to other seasons and whatnot and basically what's going to be coming up for you over the next couple of months into the uh, into the spring and summer I guess you could say but Chris how was the Portland season on the tuna for you guys
1: it was certainly one of the uh, more different seasons we've had heading down there obviously a few months ago when we spoke we were um, you know, excited and just to get away from the school fish back at Queenscliff and uh get back into normality and sort of get up there and just catch fish every day, you know, like we generally do. Um, but it was completely different. It was sort of day by day, you didn't know what you were gonna get.
0: What do you mean by not in short, not knowing what you're going to get? Like, what do you
1: mean by that? Well, it was sort of funny, like you'd go out one day and smack fish and then you'd be like, right, we're into it now. The season's here and it's kicked off and here we go. You like Generally, you you do, you know, your odd 50, 60 trips and bag every day. But like you'd bag one day and then the next day you'd struggle to find fish. It was just like gone. Everything was gone overnight and it looked like a ghost town. And then you sort of find them and then you, you get fish, but you wouldn't bag out. And then the next day there thick guys and they're jumping on pretty much everything you know
0: what do you guys well, obviously you talk to a lot of the charter guys you often get houses together what do you yep. put that into? to
1: oh mate we don't know like no one knows really like yep. it's just fishing i suppose like it's i don't know as it's i don't know it's it's a difficult thing like you don't know like who knows whether it's water temperature or um you know, the wind was pretty bad this year. Like, it stopped us from getting out a lot of times. Um, so wind, weather, water temp, God knows. Who knows what it was, mate. Now, you're running, obviously, two
0: big engines on the back, and it's a big boat. And uh, you do use some fuel, let's put it that way, even with how uh, good these engines are these days. And the shelf is a place that, uh, I guess, large run of fish go there. You get the albacore, obviously, and then you get your school run a tuner out there. But if you can avoid going out there, I know all the charters will do their best to avoid going out there because it adds an extra $400 bill to the day. Uh, yep. what, what, where were the fish this year?
1: So, I don't know. We found ourselves sort of everywhere. It wasn't one continuous sort of area. We, we were um, sort of – we fished – we did fish the light in between the light and Bridgewater a fair bit. Um, I don't think we ran to the shelf too many times. It might have only been half a dozen times. Uh, The last couple of trips were out in the shelf, but that was just because it was dead flat and there was no wind. So those fish, when it is dead flat, don't seem to bite in close. So we sort of head out to the shelf. So those last couple of trips, we did find some good fish out on the shelf. But again, like one day we got 23 fish and then the next day we struggled to get five. So it just sums up the season, I suppose. Now,
0: before we get onto the big fish, what are what size were the school tuna this year? Were they on the bigger side or on the small side?
1: No, that's sort of same sort of thing, 12 to 15 kilo. Yeah, yeah. Um there was a lot of barrels like we found ourselves a lot of times like as you know, probably watched a few of our live videos, we did find ourselves catching a few uh sort of 50 to 80, 100 kilo fish. But unfortunately for us every time we did hook and we hooked them on the Bing gear, and um, I think we fought one there for nearly five hours, and ended up losing it in the end.
0: Well, that was going to be my next topic. Where the uh, start of the season, when you head down, traditionally, is where you get there, as the fish sort of stop the barrels. You get a first run of barrels at the start, then it usually slows down as you sort of arrive with the other charters.
1: Was that the same case <laughs> this year? No, they sort of stuck around, but it wasn't like you know when you go out and you sort of you find that zoo and. And you're sort of like, oh, yeah, we're going to get barrels off here. It wasn't like that. It was um, – oh, actually, it was one time we we did hook up a double and landed that 88-kilo fish out of it. But other than that, they were sort of just blind hits and mixed in with the school fish. So you didn't really know whether you were going to get a 15-kilo fish or an 80-kilo fish.
0: It's obviously exciting when the, when a rod takes off with a lot of you guys that are down there, the charter boys, and I guess the wreck guys too – a lot of the wreck guys will be more chasing the barrels, but you guys are chasing the schoolies. You're trying to put meat on the deck, and you're running those smaller rods, so the customers have an enjoyment, a fair bit of enjoyment catching those smaller fish. When well, I've never, I've never hooked a barrel. I'm just trying to think right now. I've never hooked a barrel. I don't think on lighter gear. I think I've always been pretty prepared because obviously I don't really chase the school fish down at Portland and have that. I guess barrels mixed in like you guys do. At what yep. point do you know on that reel that it's a barrel? Is it straight away?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Like you know, you know, you know yourself when you hook a fish over sort of fifty, eighty kilo, it doesn't take long for that line to come off that spool. So you sort of know within the first sort of you know thirty seconds that you have hooked something decent, and um, yeah, it's all hands on deck.
0: Well, the boat's back in Queenscliff. What are you doing for the next month or couple of months or so, Chris? What what have you got advertised?
1: Well, we were going to take a break and just sort of relax like we normally do in July, August, but with the barrel fishing out of Queenscliff um, seems to be firing up, so we've just advertised some barrel trips and we'll just do the odd trip out of home chasing those big tuna again. Yeah, so if
0: uh, if someone's interested to take the boat out on the whiting or something like that, will you open up to open up some whiting trips or some gummy trips even?
1: uh, We might do the gummy trips, but... um, I think for the next month, we might just focus on the barrels. It's a bit hard right. to sort of mix and match because you'll get two people that want to do whiting or gummies, and then you'll get people that want to do barrels. So we can't sort of do everything in the one hit. And just trying to fill boats um, yeah, with I different trips it. will be uh, a little bit hard this time of year. So I think we might just focus on um, these bigger tuna for the next few months, and then we'll see where we head from there.
0: Chris Vasilevsky from Gone Fishing Charters. If you do want to have a crack at these, what we like to call local barrels, or we like to call them Queensland barrels, uh, make sure you do get in touch with Chris O from Gone Fishing Charters. Fire a message on your social medias or give him a call. You'll find his number all over the internet and on his social media pages as well. Thanks, Chris O. Thanks, Az. Have a good one. That was All Aboard. You're listening to Real Adventures.
1: You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood.
2: Welcome back to Real Adventures. We are on the home stretch now. We mentioned off the top of the show with Aaron's 145 kilo local southern bluefin tuna, that he does have a few tips that are potentially better than most. Uh, what do you have for us, old boy, heading into the weekend, and how can those listening, you know, improve their chances of catching a fish of a lifetime
0: so from the Barwon river where i went out of it was roughly a 40 to 45 kilometer where i got these fish right and it looked at the looked at his chart looked at uh the winds i've got a 10 knot westerly with the south channel i looked on the charts oh it's going to be a little bit blowier. 12 to 15 knots out wider so you, all right now i know in my head that's going to be pretty ordinary out wide so what i'm trying to say to you is when you're long way offshore and you're new to this game of chasing fish in the ocean. Yes, it's a northerly wind and it's an offshore wind, but when you're 45 k's offshore and you've got a 15-knot breeze, it's quite rough out there. It's not calm. It's not like your normal 15-knot wind that you'd have in the bay or that you would have, I guess, if you're fishing the gummies in 25 to 40 metres of water up Arwen Heads. You're a long way from protection. You're a long way from land. It's not necessarily an offshore breeze. Yes, the sea doesn't build, which is great. I had a flat sea as such, but the wind chop was horrible. It was smacking over the side of the boat. It was horrible. So when you're looking at your charts, you're new to the game here, see 15 knots, you're travelling 45 kilometres, just go righto, understand that it is going to be a bit crappier than what it would naturally be when you're fishing in your normal areas, even off Portmark or Portland when you're only 10, 15 Ks offshore. That extra 20, 30, 40 Ks, whatever you're going is an absolute prick of a time in 15 knot winds. So just be careful, be safe when you are traveling distances uh, to chase these fish, especially uh, 40 plus kilometers like we had to do the other day.
2: Beautiful work. That is Red's tip. It is now time for Flying Gaff. And this week, uh, we've got a couple that we're giving out. We're giving out a good gap and a bad one. The first one is an absolute cracker. Congratulations to Matthew as a party and his son, Yakin, uh, or we'll go with Jake, mm. uh, the 11-year-old who is celebrating a catch of a lifetime after catching a tuna almost three times his own weight. Phenomenal effort, 116-kilo bluefin tuna off Apollo Bay. That's as good as it gets as an 11-year-old Redmond
0: that's a great work that's a, like i watch grown men cry on rods catching these fish i have you one of them but it's <laughs> it they pull hard like your fish was uh your fish was a big fish too and you know how much strain that puts through your body let alone 11 year old kid pat so yeah great i, I, I just can't wait
2: to fin my son gets that old to put him through
0: that pain too <laughs>
2: And our flying gaff to finish off the day, a Gold Coast man is wishing he could turn back time after he was arrested for allegedly tampering with and turning back odometers of used vehicles. Uh, It's one of those things that we always hear. You hear the sort of the the bad news stories. Breadman, where you buy a car that's done 120,000 cases and in fact it's done 450. but a 27-year-old man in Queensland, he's been arrested Uh, after detectives and major crime squad uh, had been keeping an eye on him after he was turning back cops on a Land Cruiser 7 series. Just for research purposes, do you have his number? (laughs) 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 And on that note, it is time to win. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week on Real Adventures.